0: Let's read uh, Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse number 38. It says, Ye have heard that it has been said, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that ye resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at the law, and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not away. Um, turn not thou away. Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. That ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Um, let's go ahead and go to the Lord in word word prayer. Um, as we get started this evening. Lord, I come before you. Thank you, Father, for the good day that you've given us, the opportunity to be in your house on the midweek service. And Lord, I pray that we would not take um, this opportunity for granted, um, but that that we would be um, intentional on getting something out of your word, listening, and um, and being able to apply it to our lives tonight. Pray for those that um, are sick, those that are traveling. Please keep them safe. Have your hand of healing upon them. We love you. Thank you for all you've done. In your sons' name, I pray. Amen. Um, I'm not sure about you, but one of my favorite uh, passages of Scripture, so to speak, one of my favorite um, settings for teaching and preaching in the Bible is the Sermon on the Mount. That's right here in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, where Jesus, um, God alone with his disciples, um, on a mountain, and just taught them very practical, um, very helpful things. He touched on a number of different topics, um, and he did so um, in, in an interesting way, where he used many different metaphors, many different illustrations, many different stories, to kind of to, to, to prove his point, point. Uh, and... As in other lessons throughout this um, sermon, uh, our passage is no different in that uh, you really have to study it a little bit deeper to really get a full grasp of exactly what Jesus was getting across, exactly what the lesson that he was trying um, to teach. Uh, and I believe one of the main points, especially here in this passage, is that he was calling us to be extra mile Christians. Um, This passage isn't unlike any others where um, it really takes studying these out. If we just read through them um, as we just did, you might be thinking, what in the world was he talking about here? What does that have to do with with our Christian life? And and what is Jesus' point um, in this area? And many people have taken many of these verses taken them out of context and, um, and twisted kind of what they meant to prove um, their own thoughts, their own beliefs. Uh, people have used these verses uh, for anti-government views and socialism views uh, and different things. It's a gross misrepresentation of exactly what Jesus was trying to teach. And so um, it's my hope tonight to add some clarity to a couple of these lessons uh, that would be a help to you, um, give you uh, show you how you can apply these uh, lessons to your life this evening. Extra mile Christians. What does it mean to be an extra mile Christian? What does that look like? What are some of the examples that Jesus gave us of what an extra mile Christian is supposed to be. I believe that we see four examples here in our passage tonight um, that uh, show us what extra-mile Christians are. Four attributes. Number one, extra-mile Christians resist personal retaliation. They resist personal retaliation. Look at verse number 38. Verse 38 says, Ye have heard that it hath been said, An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Here in verse 38, Jesus was quoting um, an Old Testament law that was given in a couple different passages in the Old Testament. Um, it was given in Exodus chapter 21, in Leviticus 24, and in Deuteronomy 19. Um, and this is only what Jesus quoted was a small portion of the law that was given. Um, in Exodus 21, verses 23 through 25, It reads the law this way. It says, And if any mischief follow, then thou shalt give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burning for burning, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. And it goes on in that chapter, as well in the other passages that I mentioned there in Leviticus and in Deuteronomy, to discuss very specific punishments for... Um, different crimes that might be committed, Um, and the point was that the punishment should always fit the crime, that the punishment should never exceed the crime, Uh, and this this needs to be understood before we go any further um, on these first couple verses that this law that was given was not given to individuals. This law, as it was given in the Old Testament, was given um, by God to the nation of Israel to be carried out through the judicial system. Um, It was intended to help guide those who who were in authority as they sought to punish lawbreakers accordingly. It was used in the time of Jesus... And also in in today's time by some to justify retaliation, to justify personal vengeance. But that was never the intent of God when He gave this when He gave this law. It has been misused, it has been abused by many people. This law was put into place in in a society where they were taking matters into their own hands. and where they would prefer to kill somebody when they were wronged. Where one person would um, have their, their, you know, they would be co working in the field and one guy would drop a brick or a log onto his buddy's foot. And they'd say, Ah, you hurt my foot. I'm gonna break your arm now. He, he didn't break your foot, he just hurt it a little bit. I say, and, you know, get in a scuffle and, Somebody would pop them in the nose, break their nose. Said, you broke my nose, I'm going to cut off your head. And that's kind of where they were. They always wanted to to escalate it. And so God gave this, gave this law, say, no, no, no. It's not a a foot for a broken arm or a head for a nose. This it's an eye for an eye, a foot for a foot, um, and a life for a life. Um, There has to be a balance. Here, the preacher's outline in Sermon Bible talked about the law this way. It said, The law was given to control the irresponsible and unregulated passions of men, to control evil and to limit retaliation and revenge. The law was given as a restraint, as a deterrent to the criminal or person who would do evil, as well as to the victim, lest he inflict a more terrible vengeance than what the crime deserved. So the law was given twofold. Number one, to deter a criminal, a potential lawbreaker, uh, before they committed the crime of murder, said, hey, think about it because the punishment is going to be your life when you get caught. But also, um, it was given to protect those who were wronged so that they would not overpunish. The one who did the original wrong, understand that it was a twofold um, uh, 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 pr- pr- protection there. But as the case with all of the Old Testament laws that Jesus addresses throughout the Sermon on the Mount, uh, this law was was being misused. It was taken out of context and taken advantage of. Uh, Because what was happening was that the people would not allow the judicial system to carry out that punishment. What they were doing was they were using this law to justify their own personal vengeance. And they were using it to carry out their own retaliation. They said, hey, you cut off my hand, I'm going to cut off yours. Oh, you broke my nose, I'm going to break your nose. And and, and they would use this to justify, hey, I have the right. God said an eye for an eye. God said a foot for a foot. God said a hand for a hand. So that's okay. I can do that. And they're using it to justify uh, their own vengeance, their own retaliation. That's how it was taught. That's how it was believed by the people. This is where Jesus' point came into play. He was not saying in this passage that we should carry out vengeance On our own. He was not giving us permission to retaliate, to do someone harm who has done us harm. He has not given us permission to return evil for evil apart from the government judicial systems. His point was one thing, personal retaliation. Verse 39 says, But I say unto you that ye resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. We are all, as humans, vulnerable to hurts. We're all vulnerable to being wronged. You say, well, not me. I'm not, some of you men, I'm not, I'm not vulnerable to being hurt. I don't get my feelings hurt. I'm thick-skinned. I'm no cupcake. Okay. We are all susceptible to injustices. We're all susceptible for somebody else to do wrong against us, and when we are wrong, we have the natural tendency, all of us do, whether we want to admit it or not, we have a a sinful, fleshly desire to retaliate, to exact vengeance onto those who have wronged us. We're done wrong, say, can you believe they did that? Can you believe she said that? Oh, I'm going to let them have it. I'm going to get the last word here. They're not getting away. They're not getting away with this. We all have that tendency. We have that sinful nature. We're prone to overreaction in any situation, especially when wrongdoings are done against us. And it is our fleshly desire. It's not, it's not justice. We disguise it as, hey, justice needs to be served. No, it's our fleshly desire... For them to be hurt more than what we were hurt. What we want is vengeance. So we don't want an eye for an eye. Oftentimes, what we want is with personal retaliation, anger comes with resentment and unthinkable and extreme reactions. And Jesus says this in this passage that's not your responsibility. It's not your place for personal retaliation. We are not to take matters into our own hands. We're not to exact our own vengeance based on what what we think the the punishment would fit the crime. What he's saying in Romans 12, he says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. No, what Jesus says here is turn the other cheek. Now, that's not to say that if somebody comes up to you over in the K-Cafe... And uh, they punch you in the face because you took the last Dr. Pepper. Which would probably be a fair punishment. Let's be honest. But it's not to say that if that happens that you turn your other cheek and say, "Hey, why don't you hit me on this side just for good measure to keep it even out?" That's not—that's not what um, what he was. Tr- that's not the point he was getting across. Um, he, and he's also not saying not to defend yourself. So don't even take this to that extreme where he's saying, hey, if if physical or bodily harm is coming against you, um, he's not saying, hey, do nothing and don't defend yourself. Um, Don't get this twisted up. The point that Jesus is getting across is this. It would be better for you to be hurt twice by that person than for you to hurt them once. Saying there would be better for you if you were hurt Twice before ever retaliating and hurting the other person once. It would, be, it would be better than returning evil with evil. It would be better than resisting that person and turning them away from the love of Christ. That's the principle right here. This principle, its thought is continued into verse number 40. It says, and if any man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. He's continuing this thought on retaliation. So let's consider this verse in a little bit more detail. Because it seems at first glance, like what in the world is he talking about? A cloak and a, and a coat and being sued and all this stuff. It seems pretty strange. Jesus mentioned two types of clothing. Two articles of clothing here. A coat... And a cloak. Now, in the uh, Jewish culture, the the Jewish clothing was primarily made up of two articles of clothing the coat and the cloak. The coat uh, might not mean exactly what we think. The coat was was more of an undergarment, more like a shirt, Uh, uh, what what we would identify as a shirt, and the cloak would have been an outer garment how we would describe a jacket, or um, like a robe, more so. Uh, And the Jewish person, just as we would have more shirts than we do coats, most of us, they would have more than one shirt, but most of the Jewish people would have one cloak, one outer garment. Um, A more wealthy person would probably have more than one, but the um, most general, most basic person would normally have one cloak, one outer garment. That outer garment also served another purpose besides just clothing, but oftentimes it would serve as a covering to sleep, as a blanket. So it would be a, a large robe, and they'd use it to cover themselves as they sleep. And because of this, um, the importance of the outer cloak, and because of um, it was more expensive, than than the coat would have been. Uh, According to Mosaic law, the cloak was uh, an inalienable right of possession, which means that nobody, including the judicial system, could take that cloak away. Um, It was a right of every Jew to have their cloak. Uh, And what Jesus is saying right here is that if somebody sues you, which, which we're not going to get into. If you want to get into um, lawsuits and court ethics and all that, you can go and study it in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. But if somebody were to sue you for your coat, your shirt, the less expensive undergarment, then it would be better for you to go ahead and give them the cloak, the more expensive, more important outer garment as well. It would be more important to do that than to retaliate than to counter-sue or to get angry or to uh, uh, build this feud up even more. What Jesus is saying, hey, it's better to just diffuse the situation and you to go without something that, you legally, that legally belongs to you than, to, than for you to escalate the situation. You say, well, that's, that's not fair. That's mine. I have the right to that cloak. That's my inalienable right. Nobody can take that away from me. It's clear that God has called us as Christians, church, to live life differently. It's clear that God has called us to a higher standard. It's clear that God has called us to think different than the world and to go beyond the norm and to go the extra mile. He's asking us right here to be willing to give up what we feel we deserve. To go the extra mile. extra mile. Extra mile Christians don't practice personal retaliation. They don't take vengeance into their own hands, but instead give the matter to the right authorities, give the matter over to God, and allow Him to control what happens from there. Whether we're physically wronged, whether we're emotionally wronged, God says, Don't take personal retaliation for yourself. Give that to me and allow me to work that out. Allow me to choose what punishment might be right for that person. God's calling us tonight to be extra-mile Christians and not to take uh, personal and to resist personal retaliation. Number two, extra-mile Christians exceed demands. They exceed demands. Look at verse number 41. It says, And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Now again, it's thinking, what, what does this mean? What does it mean, go a mile and, and go to? What, how is that? Well, there needs to be some cultural explanation here. In that day, the Romans uh, were, had oppressive rule over the Jewish people. And there was a Roman law in place that stated that if a Roman soldier uh, tells a Jewish person to carry his belongings or to carry his his bag or or whatever it is that he has, then the Jewish person is compelled to do so. He doesn't have a choice. So if the Jewish person is walking down the street on their way to work or, or on their way home or on their way to the market, whatever it might be, and a, Jewish, and a Roman soldier sees them and says, hey, come with me and carry my pack. The Jewish person is compelled by law to stop, do, what they're do to, to drop what they're doing, to pick up whatever the Roman soldier told them to pick up and to carry it for at least one mile, for up to a mile. This was illustrated in, the, in Jesus' crucifixion walk where the soldier looked at, at Simeon, the Cyrene, and said, hey, you carry Jesus' cross. And he was compelled to do so, to pick that up, and to carry it. But the law was clear that it was only for one mile. Once they had gone that one mile, then the Jew was no longer under the obligation of, of the Roman law. Now, I'm sure that many Roman soldiers tried to get more than a mile out of them, and I'm sure that that probably worked from time to time. Uh, and the, that the Jews were were fearful of their life, and so they went a little bit farther than they were um, required to go. Uh, but it was clear that they only had to go for that one mile. And this is what Jesus said: He said, "Go that mile, and then be willing to go an extra mile." The application is this: Extra mile Christians will willingly go beyond the demands given to them. They'll accept inconveniences with a servant's spirit. It's not convenient to go that extra mile. It's not that convenient to go the first mile. And Jesus, uh, uh, um, Jesus said, hey, don't be irritated when the soldier asks you to take his peck. I know it's a burden. I know it's annoying. I know it's an inconvenience, but don't be irritated by that. In fact, willingly carry it a mile because it's the law, but then offer, ask him if he wants you to carry it an extra mile. This is really tough for us to accept because nobody likes inconveniences, do we? Nobody likes for somebody else to come alongside and ask us to do something That wasn't in our plans. We don't like our plans to be interrupted. We get annoyed when people ask us to do something that we didn't plan on, especially if you are an organized person. If you have your day planned out, an unorganized person is probably like, sure, I didn't have anything to do anyways. The organized person who has their day planned out and their week planned out and their month planned out, when somebody comes along and says, hey, can you help me with this, they're annoyed. They're upset. They're irritated. And how are we supposed to react during those inconveniences? According to Jesus, you ought to respond with a servant's spirit. Not only willing to go that mile, but to go a little bit extra as well. When someone asks you to help out in ministry, a ministry that wherein it's not your rotation, it's not your turn, or it's not your role, to play in that ministry. You get insulted or irritated. They have no idea what my schedule is like. If they had any understanding of what I've been through today, they never would have asked me to help out in nursery today. What in the world? why Why am I the one who's always being asked to cover in this particular ministry? Why am I always the one, it seems, that's always asked to pick up the slack? Well, maybe because that ministry leader thought that you would be an extra mile Christian and thought that maybe you'd be willing to serve with a good attitude. Maybe they were wrong. When one of the ministry leaders approaches you and says, hey, I know that you've been involved in this ministry for a long time, and I know you've been doing it this way for a number of years, uh, but would you be willing to please Change it up and do it this way. We're really wanting this ministry to be operated in this new way. Would you please uh, make some, you know, switch it up and, and change how it is that you're um, doing, you're approaching your ministry? What's your reaction? No way. The way I've been doing it has been working just fine for this number of years, and I'm not going to change for anybody. When your boss goes to you and asks something that that you've already got a lot on your plate. It's going to add more responsibility. It's going to add more to your schedule. How do you respond? I'm sure not many of us say, sure, no problem. I would love to add a little bit more onto my schedule. Do you have something else so I can lighten your load a little bit? We might say that sarcastically but not but not heartfelt. What do we do? We walk away more often than not complaining bickering about the added inconvenience that it's placed upon upon us. And yet this is what Christ has called us to do. To willingly and cheerfully exceed the demands that are placed upon us and to go the extra mile, even when it's an inconvenience for us. Even when it's annoyance. But to do so without irritation. To do so cheerfully and willingly. Being extra mile Christians, it's not always easy. Sometimes it's inconvenient. But it's been said that there are no traffic jams on the extra mile. A lot of people heading that extra mile. God's called us to a higher standard. Number three, extra, extra mile Christians practice generosity. Extra mile Christians Resist personal retaliation, they exceed demands, and they practice generosity. Look at verse number 42. It says, Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. Exploring these verses and passages similar to this can be very tricky to apply in certain, situa- certain scenarios and certain situations. So what we need to understand, I believe, is that Jesus is speaking of people in genuine need. People who are in real need of assistance and they're coming to you asking for help. Why why is that important? It's important because Scripture does not compel us to meet the needs or to meet the selfish or foolish requests uh, of... Uh, that may approach us, that people who, who, uh, that people may approach us about. The book of Proverbs is filled with principles of discernment, of wisdom, of prudence, of how we can discern whether or not the person who is asking for help is in true need of help, or Uh, if they're simply asking to be bailed out of poor choices or the person is more concerned with their wants than their needs. And so it it, it takes some discernment there. It takes some wisdom there of, of how to handle each and every situation. But those that are in real need, we ought to be more than willing to help out. And it's here we find the principle of generosity. Christians who go the extra mile will practice this principle of generosity. Biblical principles of finances and stewardship are not put in place for us to follow so that we can have a lot more for ourselves. Biblical stewardship and and finances are put in place so that we can be more generous with those things. Those who've taken the uh, Dave Ramsey, Financial Peace University. Well, no, he, he starts out the class we, uh, with the goal, with the end goal in mind, what? Live right now like no one else so that later we can live and give like no one else. And that's the same as, with, with biblical um, stewardship principles. God is calling us to be extra mile Christians, not to live life tight-fisted and to refuse help but to be open and willing to help those that are in real legitimate need of help. And we need to manage our life and our resources in such a way that we as a people can can, uh, be a help to those in legitimate need. Generosity isn't solely financial. Generosity could be, uh, we can be generous with our time. We can be generous with our abilities. We can be generous with our resources. We can be generous with our skill set, with our talents. Say, hey brother, I I really don't have the ability or the resources to to accomplish this project that I had. Uh, Would you be willing to, to give me a hand? Would you be willing to help me out? You're much more skilled in this area. What is our response? many times oh no you look up a youtube video figure out how to do it yourself or what well yeah i'll help you out how much you going to pay no we as extra mile christians um um, ought to be willing to be generous and there's a balance there of uh, that requires wisdom that we're not being taken advantage of but we also need to be generous christians We need to be generous people who are willing to help out, financially or otherwise. God's called us to practice generosity. The extra mile Christians love like Jesus. Extra mile Christians love like Jesus. Look at verse number 43. Because ye have heard that it has been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. Once again, this is a perversion of the law that was given. It's true that the second greatest commandment um, that they gave was, that was given, was to love thy neighbor as thyself. And it says so in Leviticus 19, verse 18. But it is not true that the law says to hate our enemies. It's never there in Scripture. But that's exactly what the Pharisees were teaching. We shouldn't be too surprised because that's, that's how lost and unsaved people think. Their sinful nature guides their ideologies and, and how they interact with those around them. And that's what the Pharisees and religious leaders had done. They allowed their sinful nature to blind uh, them and, and twist the meaning of the word neighbor to only apply to those who acted neighborly with them said, hey, I only have to love those who love me in return or who have been kind or, or have been polite to me. And since they, I only have to love those who are neighborly toward me, then they concluded that that allowed them to hate those who hated, who acted in hateful ways or, or hated those who were not. Loving, who are, or who were not kind, which is why Jesus said in verse number 46, For if ye love them which love you, what reward have thee? Well, how are you benefited by only loving those who love you? If you're only going to be kind to those who are uh, kind to those who are kind to you, how are you benefited by that? It's not enough only to love those who, who love you in return. Christian love ought to extend to everyone. In the preceding verse of number 45, it says that "That in so doing we reflect who our Father is. Did your parents ever tell you uh, not to embarrass them in public? Hey, Junior, we're going to so-and-so's house for lunch today. Now don't embarrass me. Don't whine. Don't gripe. Don't complain. Just don't say that you don't like the food. Just eat the food that you're given. Please, no fighting. You know, why do we do that? Because we don't want them to embarrass us because how our children act are a reflection on us as parents, on us as people. And the same is true right here where, where, um, uh, where um, Jesus is saying, hey, how the way that you interact with other people, the way that you treat and you love those around you, is a reflection on who your Father is. Look at the second half verse 45. It says, For He maketh His Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. Again, more of a reflection on who God is Many times we use this verse and others like it to say hey look bad things happen or good bad things happen to good people and bad people. But that's not the I don't believe that's the point that Jesus was making. He's talking about love, loving those who are unjust. And he said and the picture of the sun is a picture of blessing. The fact that it rains on the, the just and on the unjust, rain is not a bad thing. Sometimes it's an inconvenience for us. But in general, rain is a blessing. And what he's saying in verse number 45 is, hey, God's love and his blessing is shown toward both the evil and the good. God shows his love, God shows his blessing to the just and to the unjust. It's who God is. God allows good things to happen to all people. Psalm 145 and verse 9 says, The Lord is good to all, and His tender mercies are over all His works. The point is this, that if our Father does good things and loves the just and the unjust, then we, as His children, should live no differently. We should follow His example, reflect His nature, and bless the unjust just as much as we bless the just. To love those who have wronged us just as much as we love those who have loved us. Verse 44 says, But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. What's Jesus saying right here? He says, love even those that have not loved you. I have to love those who haven't shown me love? If you're an extra mile Christian, you will. He says, do good for those that have made it clear that they don't like you. Those at work that have been critical of you and have been... Negative towards you and have, have have made it no secret that they're not your fan, do good unto them. It says, pray for them which despitefully use you. Pray for them who have used you, who have taken advantage of you. Bless them that have cursed you. Said, but that's not normal. And that's Jesus' point tonight. We're not called to be normal, but to be different. That's the point of the entire Sermon on the Mount. We're called to be salt and light. We're called to be influences to a lost and dying world. And this is the heart of his Sermon on the Mount, to go the extra mile as Christians. To go the extra mile as children of God, to show them the love that he has for them. You're not any different if you love those that love you. That's what he says in verse 46 and 47. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye... What do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so? What's he saying right here? He's saying, hey, if you only talk and you only fellowship and you're only kind and, and loving to believers and to others who love you, you're no different than the world. You're no better than those at work who 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 criticize and, and, and are negative towards you. If if we're not going to be any different by showing love and kindness toward all of those around us, then we're no different than the rest of the world. But we are called to follow our Father's example and, and show love to those that don't love us. Jesus showed love, he showed kindness toward those in his life, even those that didn't love him. Those that put the nails in his hands and that lied about him and that falsely accused him and that hated him and cursed him. What he, he prayed on the cross? He says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. This passage of the Sermon on the Mount really comes down to one word, I believe. That word is attitude. That attitude is transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. Each of these extra mile attributes boils down to an attitude of ours. Look at it. An attitude that puts wrongdoings into the hands of the Lord and allows Him to carry out His punishment. An attitude that won't be dictated by inconvenience, but instead willingly and cheerfully exceeds those demands. An attitude that is happy and active in helping those in genuine need an attitude that is that enjoys being generous, and an attitude that chooses to love those who have mistreated us. So, how's your attitude this evening? You know, we've all said it to our kids: "Hey, you need an attitude adjustment. You've got a bad attitude." Well, tonight, some of us, no doubt, need an attitude adjustment because we're not being extra-mile Christians in some of these areas. And the only way that that attitude attitude can be adjusted is through the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. An attitude that says, I'm going to be an extra-mile Christian.